Wouldn't it be great if there was a visual aid that could help you understand how music works? Good news, there is. I'm going to talk about it next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 58. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. First of all, just want to make a comment in relation to episode number 57, which was last week's episode. I mentioned at the beginning that I just had my ears syringed, kind of cleaned, and that all the trebles were kind of high and that I wasn't sure about the sound quality of the previous episode. Was it just my ears getting used to things or did it really not sound as good as it normally did? And uh, sure enough, the interview, I think, sounded, uh, at least to my ears, it sounded pretty good. The intro did not, and I was having a really hard time with the balance. I couldn't seem to get the microphone loud enough, and it was very tinny. There was just a lot of things I didn't like about it, and I was having so much trouble getting ready for an interview that I'm going to be recording soon that's going to be featured on episode number 59, and I couldn't get the, the anything with the sound to work like normal. I couldn't even get an audio feed that would come from the guest to my DAW. Well, it turns out that Logic sometimes asks you, would you like to use such and such as an audio device? And that such and such happens to be one of my webcams, which this probably isn't a big newsflash. Webcams aren't really great for audio. They're, they're designed for video. Uh, they have a microphone, but you should almost never use the webcam mic if you're trying to do anything professionally. You should actually get a designated microphone. But somehow, I guess just not thinking I was busy, I was distracted when it flashed that notification and I just clicked yes on it. And so it was not using my microphone, it was using my webcam, uh, which is... Uh, depending on which one it was using, it's either one or two feet away from me. So not good placement, even for a good microphone. Anyways, that is fixed now. I'm confident that although I know there's always room for improvement, I feel like the podcast audio should be back to normal for this podcast. Okay. On these solo episodes that I don't intend to be very long overall, I thought throughout the year I would give you just a progress report from episode number 55. If you haven't listened to that, that's from January 1st of this year, 2024, where I offered 10 goals for every musician to help grow in 2024. And I said, and just for fun, I'm going to participate in all 10. So what I'm going to do is occasionally give you some progress reports on a few of them. I'm not going to give you reports on all 10. I don't have all 10 going on right now, but just a few that kind of came to mind. So one of my goals is to learn the Piano Sonata by Samuel Barber, which, you know, for those who are full-time pianists and have been practicing for years, it might not be among the most difficult pieces, but it is difficult compared to most of the music that I've learned and, you know, not just technically difficult, but it's musically, uh, to me, very difficult. It's very hard to, ha it's not very intuitive. The harmonies are surprising. Sometimes the, the written intervals are surprising. There's 
one case of like a doubly augmented interval and it fits the way, you know, it fits in the context, but it is still kind of hard to read at times. So I've been doing pretty well with that. Uh, I feel pretty, I mean, I feel very good about the first 20 measures. They're memorized. There's just maybe a couple of rough spots. It's very close to up to tempo and I'm making slow, slow progress with maybe the rest of the first half of movement one. I uh, really have a long way to even do more than sight read the second half of the first movement. Prior to this year, I had never done anything with the second movement, but I started getting into it and I realized that (laughs) it's kind of a breath of fresh air. That is probably the easiest of all four movements. It's also one of the two shortest. So I, I am now feeling very confident that probably by some point this summer, the second movement will be down. The third movement's already very close. So I'm going to have half the piece. The fourth movement, I've just kind of taken a peek at. Uh, again, that's learning the fourth movement of the Sonata is not high priority for this year. I want to get the first three really well and feel like I'm making progress on the fourth. So top priority, as far as that goes, is the first movement. And I feel like I'm making progress. Another goal that I mentioned was I want to do a deep dive into listening to the music of John Coltrane, the recorded music of John Coltrane. And that's not an accident. I live in the city now where he grew up, where there's a statue that I just walked by the other day. I feel like I need to know his repertoire well. So, uh, you know, if it's kind of a really minor live recording uh, or something where he appears as a guest on someone else's, if it's not really highly regarded, I might listen to it once. But all of like the studio albums, I'm going to listen to at least twice. I've actually listened to Blue Train three times, and uh, and that one is unsurprisingly my favorite so far. So I started at the very beginning, at the earliest album I could find, listened to about six, and I'm up to the year 1958. And then there's uh, just a couple of goals I'm going to start soon, but I haven't started them yet. I'm going to begin, hopefully by the end of the month, start to read the Arnold Schoenberg book, The Theory of Harmony, as kind of my theory slash counterpoint slash orchestration book. Although that's the general goal. This book is just about theory. And I have bought new strings for my guitar, which is the secondary instrument I'm going to try to make a lot of progress with this year. But I haven't put the new strings on the guitar and I haven't really played it at all this month. So again, by the end of the month, I hope to have the new strings on the guitar, have them getting settled, and have it out of its case and start playing it regularly and trying to, you know, just get into the habit of regularly practicing the guitar. Okay, I gave you a little bit of hyperbole at the very beginning when I talked about there being a visual aid that would tell you all how music works. I'm sorry, there's not a visual aid that will tell you everything about how music works, but there is a visual aid that tells you a lot about how music works. And if you've been Uh, studying music for even a little amount of time, you'll know what some of the things it tells you is. So I am talking about something that goes by a lot of names. I've heard it called the circle of keys, the circle of fourths. I call it the circle of fifths. I think that's the more common way to refer to it. The other two ways are perfectly fine if that's how you're used to talking about it. So I'm going to do the best I can uh, with this being an audio format. Inevitably, 
maybe not this year, but, you know, sometime in the not too distant future, sometime this decade, I'm sure I will make a video version of this topic. I'll probably go about it a little bit differently. So again, this is audio only. I'll do my best to describe. You can, of course, you can go to Google Images and type in Circle of Fifths and find all kinds of a variety of images. I really like one that I found that was designed by someone named Sienna M. Wood in 2015. It has a website attached to it called musiccrashcourses.com. I can't vouch for that website. But it what this person did design it. They put a copyright on it. So I will put a link to that image. I just wanted to give them credit for it. There are probably others that do the same thing. What I like in a good circle of fifths is, of course, to have the keys aligned in fifths in their proper spots. I'm going to go over that in just a moment. But also, with the key signatures associated with those keys, a full inharmonic zone at the bottom, and the minor keys listed along with their inharmonic zone. So if any of that, you're not sure what I'm talking about, don't worry, I'm going to go over all of that. Now, if you're listening to this and you say, okay, I, I know the circle of fifths, I can probably check out of this episode. Uh, let me say, I'm going to go over the things that this reveals, the things that I've observed about circle fifths. I mean, what I've observed combined with what I had been shown by others. So it's not all me by any means. I'm going to start with the most common observations made about the circle of fifths. But then I'm going to go into some lesser common, some more uncommon observations about what the circle of fifths shows. And you might just be surprised. You might hear something for the first time about this tool that you haven't heard before. Now, maybe you haven't. Maybe this is all old news. Well, you know, congratulations. Some of this stuff... I discovered like within five or six years ago. So I'm going to go over everything armed with the knowledge that as of this date that I'm recording, which I'm recording on January 17th, 2024, I bet I haven't found everything. So after I go through all this, if you're thinking something that the, the, the circle fifth shows and I've missed it, I definitely want you to tell me. I want to add to this list I'm going to show you. Okay. So the best that I can do, again, it really will really help if you're able to find a visual image of the circle fist, but I will try to describe it as if you're not going to do that. So let's start with what, what a circle of fifths looks like, especially the one that I'm talking about. So obviously it's a circle. Another object that you've seen before some of you more than others, if you're of a certain age, that's also in the shape of a circle, is a clock, an analog clock. And it's helpful to think of those two images side by side because there are 12 numbers on a clock to show the hours, as well as every five minutes. And there are 12 keys within a chromatic scale that are laid across in a circle. And each one I like to think of it as like a clock position. So, for example, the key of C is in the 12 o'clock position on the circle. I will also be referring to clockwise and counterclockwise. So what nearly every circle of fifths visual has is, again, laid out like a clock. And I'm going to start at 12 o'clock and I'm going to go clockwise. 
as if I'm going then to one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, and so forth. And the 12 o'clock through four o'clock spots are as follows. C, G, D, A, E. So I'm going to pause there just for a moment. So what you'll notice about this is if you were uh, to check that on your instrument, you would find that I am going up or ascending by perfect fifths. Perfect fifth is not just meaning that it's a total of five letters, including the first to the second and all the ones that you're skipping, but it is a total distance of seven half steps. So C, G, D, A, E. When you get to the five, six, and seven o'clock spots, you get to what I refer to as the enharmonic zone, and that is the place where in terms of major key signatures, you have two choices for each one. So five, six, seven o'clock respectively are B or C flat, F sharp or G flat, D flat or C sharp. And I will say that I've seen some images that almost always credit the six o'clock spot as being F sharp or G flat, but they very often leave out the C flat and the C sharp choices. They usually just go with B and D flat on the five and seven o'clock. Okay, and then eight through 11 o'clock in order is A flat, E flat, B flat, F. And by the way, so one of the things that you'll notice about this is that it's all white keys until you get to the B. And then it's all flats until you get to the B flat. And that is just something, if you've never noticed that before, you wanna notice. Every fifth that you could spell with two letters is going to be perfect if it's two sharps, two flats, or two naturals, except B to F. And so if you're coming from B, you now need to go to an F sharp. If you want to land on F, you need to come from a B flat. Now, before we go on, let's talk about this word fifths. I just went clockwise around the circle. By the way, one more time, 12 through 11. C, G, D, A, E, B or C flat, F sharp or G flat, D flat or C sharp, A flat, E flat, B flat, F. F up a fifth gets you back to C. So it goes clockwise ascending by fifths, but, you, but it also goes descending by perfect fourths. And this is an important thing to remember, especially when you're trying to come up with exercises, technique exercises that use all the keys in a circle of fifths progression. Even on the piano, which has more than seven octaves, you will run out of room to do anything if you keep going up by fifths, even if you start at the very bottom. In fact, you might not even make it more than halfway around the circle. But the same thing will happen if you go down by fourths the whole time. So up by fifths, down by fourths is kind of a good approach, whether you're going clockwise or counterclockwise. So let me go over the most obvious things, the most common things that this is taught to show. So if you look at the top of the circle, not 12 o'clock, but 11 o'clock, where you find the F, and go clockwise, so go start at 11 o'clock, go to 12 o'clock, one, two, three, four, five. If we will just look at the natural letters, ignore the flats, ignore the sharps, but just in a row, we have F, C, G, D, A, E, B. That's once again, F, C, G, D, A, E, B. So when you have sharps in a key signature, or when you have flats in a key signature, unless you're trying to do something a little unorthodox, like Bela Bartok sometimes does. Those sharps and flats are going to be in a predictable order. So whether you have one sharp or whether you have seven sharps, 
the first one is going to be F sharp. If you have two or more, the second one's going to be C sharp. If you have three, it's going to be F, C, and G sharp. In other words, I'm going clockwise along the circle. I'm just reciting this. So the order of sharps, and also not only, not only does this tell you about key signature order, but it also tells you about frequency in music. So in all the music you ever play, there are more F sharps than any other letter. There are also fewer B sharps than any other letter, which is also the same as C. So the order of sharps is F, C, G, D, A, E, B. Again, that's clockwise along the circle. I personally just recommend rem remembering that order, F, C, G, D, A, E, B. But there are a lot of sayings to help you if you need it, such as fat cats go down alleys eating bread. One that I like, fire causes great damage and everything burns. One that I learned from my wife was, fine candy goes dandy after eating breakfast. One I'm going to go back over in just a moment is, uh, Father Charles goes down and ends battle. So F, C, G, D, A, E, B, this is the order of sharps. Okay, well let's also take this again, and this time we're going to start at the 12 o'clock spot. We're going to start with C, and... So going from the 12 o'clock spot to the 7 o'clock spot on the circle, and it's kind of staying on the outer part of this, you're going to see the, the letters C, G, D, A, E, B, F sharp, C sharp. And respectively, these are keys with no sharps, one sharp, two sharps, three sharps, four sharps, five sharps, six sharps, and all seven sharps. So C major, no sharps. G major has one sharp. D has two. A has three. E has four. B has five. F sharp has six. And C sharp has seven. All seven. <laughs> and again, those sharps are being used in this order. F sharp on every single one. C sharp on all but one. And then so, and then so forth. And we add the G, the D, A, E, B. All, again, all shown to you going clockwise on the circle. F, C, G, D, A, E, B. And by the way, then that starts over. F, C, just add sharps. F sharp, C sharp. Okay, so if we take the F, C, G, D, A, E, B, and we then go backwards, we go in reverse, we get B, E, A, D, G, C, F. So we're going again counterclockwise on the circle this time we're going from the b so which would be at the five o'clock position and going to four three two one twelve eleven that is b e a d g c f this is the order of flats now this actually makes a word b e a d is bead and then you just add g c f to it and you get bejikaf b e a d g c f so if you have one flat in a key it's going to be a b flat the second one is E flat, A flat, D flat, then G flat, C flat, and F flat. And by the way, you notice the when we go when we go through this, what are the last two sharps? What are the last two flats? The last two sharps on a key signature are E sharp and B sharp, which can be spelled as as F and C. The last two flats in a key signature are C flat and F flat, which can be spelled as B and E. So you're getting all of the ones that on a piano would be played with the black keys first, and the two that would be played with the white keys occur last. So Bejikov is one way to know the order of the flats, B-E-A-D-G-C-F. 
The other way I know, I want to go back to this, this saying that I gave you for order of sharps. Father Charles goes down and ends battle. Say that backwards for the order of flats. Battle ends and down goes Charles's father. So to find the flat keys in order of occurrence, we want to go counterclockwise on the circle of fifths, starting with the 12 o'clock spot, the key of C. We're going to go backwards from 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and 5 o'clock along the circle of fifths, and we'll see the keys of C, F, B flat, E flat, A flat, D flat, G flat, C flat. So C is a key with no flats. And again, moving counterclockwise to the next spot, F is a key with one flat. B flat is a key with two flats. E flat is a key with three flats. A flat has four flats. D flat has five flats. G flat has six flats. And C flat has seven flats. So one observation you might make here that maybe doesn't get pointed out as often as it should. But so not counting C, it has no sharps, it has no flats. F is the only one with a flat in the key signature that starts on a natural letter. Now, it's not the only one that would start on a white key on the piano. If you get to C flat major, that is starting on the letter B, but it's still written as a flat note. It's still written as a C flat. So of all every note that starts on a natural, you have C with no sharps and no flats, and you have F with one flat, and the other five all have sharps in the key signatures. So that's another observation. So not every image of a circle fifth shows this. A lot of times they leave this out, and I think this is really unfortunate. But hopefully your circle of fifths will also show you the relative minors, which is in an inner circle just below the major keys. So again, if you haven't come across this as a music student, relative minor is simply the minor key that shares the key signature of another major key. And the relationship can be found in two ways. First of all, if you spell the scale from the major key, start on the first note, and you stop on the sixth note, that is the relative minor. So if you go C, D, E, F, G, A, stop, A is the relative minor of C. If you take something like B major and go B, C sharp, D sharp, E, F sharp, G sharp, stop, G sharp minor is the relative minor of B major. But another way, maybe a little bit more quick to find it, especially if you have a piano handy, is to play the major note and then go back three half steps, go down three half steps, and you will land on the same note. Well, guess what? Because this is proportionate, being three half steps below each note all the way across, it still has the same order, F, C, G, D, A, E, B, going clockwise, and B, E, A, D, G, C, F, going counterclockwise. It's just in a different position. Again, thinking like a clock, every letter has moved three positions counterclockwise. So C has gone from 12 o'clock to 9 o'clock. A has gone from 3 o'clock to 12 o'clock. So everything has moved, if you want to think left and right, it has moved to the left three spots. So that's really all I'll say about that for now. But again, you can organize your minor keys just the way you do the major. Now, a couple of things that you'll notice is that the inharmonic zone is different. It's still in the same spot. But like, for example, C sharp does not have an inharmonic. It's in the four o'clock spot. It's related to the E, C sharp minor. Your inharmonic zone is now G sharp or A flat, well, again, which is five sharps or seven flats. 
D sharp or E flat minor, which is a choice of six sharps or six flats, and then B flat or A sharp minor, which is five flats or seven sharps. Okay, before I leave just talking about scales on the circle fifth, I want to point out something that I noticed maybe maybe a decade ago. I can't remember how long it's been, but it's something I noticed when I was teaching one time. I never learned this as a student. I want to take this order of sharps one more time, F, C, G, D, A, E, B. Now, if you were to write that down, F, C, G, D, A, E, B, and then think to yourself, what is the scale degree of each note within a C major scale? I know this seems kind of random, but take the F, C, G, D, A, E, B, and take your C major scale, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, number one through seven. Now put those letters, those numbers in order. F, C, G, D, A, E, B appears in the following order in a C major scale. Four, one, five, two, six, three, seven. So once again, F, C, G, D, A, E, B in a C major scale is the scale degrees of four, one, five, two, six, three, seven. Now you're going to notice several things about that. First of all, every other number is going up. So four, one, five, two, six, three, seven. And of course, four is skipping one, five, two, six, three. <laughs> so we've got that kind of a pattern and it's basically, you could think of it as going down a fourth, up a fifth, down a fourth, up a fifth, which is the way it tends to look when you write out the sharps in that order, it's except for, you know, the more modern system goes down a fourth twice at one point. Well, that four, one, five, two, six, three, seven also represents something else, but not for sharps. It represents something for flats. So this is where you go one direction on the circle of fifths and it tells you something about the other direction. Four, one, five, two, six, three, seven is the order in which notes of a flat key scale become flat. So if you think about it, F major has one flat, it's B flat. Where does that happen? It happens on the fourth note of the scale. And then B flat major has two flats. The new flat is E flat. It's on the fourth note of the scale. But the one that carried over, the next to last flat, has now moved to the first note of the scale. This is why you can use this trick of, if you have two or more flats in a key signature, name the next to last flat. That is the key. But it is because of the frequency in which scale degrees become flat or sharp. And in a flat key major scale, it is the first scale degree that becomes flat the second most often behind the fourth scale degree. So then you get to three flats. The new flat is A flat. It is the fourth scale degree. The second newest flat is E flat. It is now the first scale degree. And the B flat that you started with, it is now moved to the fifth scale degree. So again, those numbers are four, one, five, two, six, three, seven. So if you get to C flat major where you have seven flats, that B flat you started with is now on number seven. Well, guess what? If you go backwards, if you go B E A D G C F, Bijakov, and you and you assign that as scale degrees belonging to a C major scale. It's scale degrees number seven 
362514. And this is the order in which scale degrees become sharp. So if you have G major, which is one sharp, it's the seventh scale degree that becomes sharp first. That's where your F sharp first appears. And by the way, that is on the leading tone. It is a half step below the tonic. So this is why you can look at a sharp key signature in, with any amount of sharps. Find the one furthest to the right, name that sharp, and go up a half step. And you'll find the major key. But the reason for that is because the newest sharp in the key signature that's been added appears on the seventh scale degree. And then where does it go? You get two sharps. You get D major. You have F sharp and C sharp. The new sharp C sharp is on the seventh scale degree. The F sharp moved to the third scale degree. So this is a way of understanding not only which sharps and flats are most common, but when you're thinking about your scales, you'll notice that if you have a sharp at all, that seventh scale degree will be sharp. And you won't sharp the fourth note of the scale until you have done all of them. That can help you remember what do you do when you have six sharps. Everything is sharp but the fourth scale degree. So in other words, you're an F sharp major. B is the fourth note. It is not sharp. But your seventh sharp, E, it is. So if you're on a piano, you'll play it as an F. When you're in a flat key, every fourth note you play is flat right away. But you won't flat the seventh until you're playing C flat major. And if you have six flats, everything but the seventh note is flat. So you're in G flat major. It means you still have a natural F. The last sharp becomes the first flat. The last flat becomes the first sharp. Okay, let's talk about primary chords. Primary chords are one, four, five. If you want to know what they are for any key, point to any letter, and we'll start with C, you are pointing to the one chord. If you'll move one position counterclockwise, in other words, go from 12 to 11 o'clock, you'll get to F. That is the four chord. So moving counterclockwise position by one spot, again, which is going ascending by fourths or descending by fifths, that is your four chord. Take that C again and go one position clockwise, go to the one o'clock spot, you'll find G. That is your five chord. So point to any letter as the center of three letters going from left to right or going from the counterclockwise spot going clockwise and you'll have the chords of four one five for that key if you want to know what are the most common secondary chords check out the relative minors of those chords so if you look at f c g which is four one five in the key of c you have D minor, A minor, E minor. That's the two, six, and three chords. So if you're just thinking to yourself, you know, I wonder what chords are most common in the key of D flat. Well, you go to D flat and you go one position counterclockwise, you go one position clockwise, and you find out the one, four, and five chords are D flat, G flat, and A flat. And then you look at your minor chords that you have. You have E flat minor, B flat minor and F minor. And again, that's not all of your chords, but if you want to know what are like six of the most common chords you can use within any key, refer to the circle of fifths and just go right to it. If you're working on a bona fide classical sonata, like composed 
by someone like Haydn, Mozart, Clementi, or, you know, Beethoven up to a point. The first movement especially tends to follow a predictable key pattern. And that is to say that it will start in a tonic key, and then it will move clockwise by one position to get to the second theme. And it'll probably stay there for a while. And when you come back to the recapitulation in the last section, it'll stay in the tonic key. But if you are in, if you're starting in the key of C major, you're probably moving to the key of G major. And if you're starting the key of G major, you're going to move temporarily to the key of D major. In other words, just moving, you're adding a sharp or you're taking away a flat. Now, this is not how it typically works if you are starting in a minor key. So if you're starting in a minor key like C minor, you're not going to go to F or G minor for your second theme usually. You're going to go to the relative major. So C minor will go to E flat major. Now another way that you can kind of consult the circle of fifths for something that you can expect in a classical sonata is that the second movement is very often in a different key. And it doesn't have to follow that those strict rules. But basically, go back to what I said. Point to the key. Include that relative minor. And include the, the major and relative minor that are neighbors. One to the clockwise spot, one to the counterclockwise spot. And these are the keys that you could have for your second movement. But most likely, if you're in a major key, it's going to be another major movement. So in other words, if you start in C major, you're going to be going to, you're going to have a second movement that's in F or G major. If you're a pianist, something else that the circle fifths can show you is how chords are organized by white and black key patterns. So I'm going to start with the 11 o'clock spot and take three chords. So going clockwise, F, C, G. Those are the three major keys that you can play with all naturals, all white keys, if you're playing the, the major chord. The next three that occur clockwise are D, A, E. These three chords have a white root, a white fifth, and a sharp in the middle, sharp on the third. Then you get to B, that is unique. You have a natural on the bottom, sharp in the middle, sharp on the top. Then you get to F sharp, or G flat. That is another unique one. It is all black keys, three flats or three sharps. Then it's kind of best if you go on not to think of it as C sharp, think of it as D flat, D flat, A flat, E flat. It's kind of like a photo negative of D A E. D A E was white keys on the outside, sharp in the middle. D flat, A flat, E flat are black keys on the outside, flats on the outside with a white key in the middle. And then you have one key left that's B flat flat on the bottom, naturals on the middle and the top. So that's six different groupings. If you're trying to memorize your chords, you have six groups of color patterns that you can use to go to learn all 12 major chords. If you'll simply start with F and go clockwise around the circle of fifths, you can do the same thing for minor keys. You'll find a similar pattern. It's just offset a little bit differently. Okay, so here are a few other things about the circle of fifths. One thing that you may know already is that you can use this as a way of practicing any kind of technique in a way that makes a lot of sense. Now, there is a circle of fifths chord progression, and it most naturally flows counterclockwise. 
And that's because four does not pull very much to one, or one doesn't really move to five as strongly as five moves to one. And that's what you get. If you're going counterclockwise, you are looking at what becomes the five chord. This is kind of something else, by the way. I just take I just take the key of C again. You point to the key of C and you go one to the left, that's F. C is the five chord in the key of F. Now move to the key of C. C is the one chord in the key of C. Now go clockwise to the key of G. C is the four chord in the key of C. So as you move along the circle of fifths, a major chord is introduced as the four chord, then it becomes the one chord, then it becomes the five chord. And then it disappears. Now, not that you can't have it as an out-of-key chord, but it does not appear again naturally in a major scale. Every major chord appears once in three different major scales. So if you're learning a chord progression, C naturally, you can, and if you want to strengthen it, make it a C7, go counterclockwise to F. You could make that an F7 and go to B flat. And you can keep on going. Now, a lot of times in music, this will happen, but what often happens is something that I think is really cool is what I call the tritone cut through the backyard. <laughs> so when I was uh, growing up in Florida, we had a backyard that had a fence with a gate and we didn't keep it locked. It was a gate right by the house and there was a gate on the other end of the yard and people used to cut through our yard because right behind our house was a building that was facing a really busy strip. There was a plaza there. The mall was not far away. And it was a shortcut to get out of the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, we never discouraged that. So people used to just cut through our yard <laughs> as a shortcut. So if you cut through the yard, if you go, if you were to take a ruler on a well-drawn circle and go directly across, or just think of it like this, uh, if you go from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, if you go from 1 to 7, so basically just add six to that number if you want to find out like where should I be going. You are doing you are going a tritone away. You are going six half steps away. And by the way, this is how I say if you want to find like any key and you want to know what major scale has the least in common with that one, it's the tritone. It's like it has the fewest number of common notes. So G to D flat, D to A flat. So what, what often happens is if you start with a C and you're doing a chord progression where C resolves to F, F resolves to B flat, B flat goes to E flat, and then you go to A flat. A lot of times by this point, you're not going to keep going counterclockwise, but you're going to cut across A flat, going to go tritone away to the other side of the circle to D. And then you keep going counterclockwise from that point and you get in, especially in jazz, we call it the 2-5-1, which is D-G-C. And by the way, the circle of fifths is why, it shows why that is such a popular progression in jazz standards. 2-5-1 is right along the counterclockwise circle, going D-G-C, or G-C-F, or F-C-B-flat. So you can certainly use this for that. Also, if you want to get, uh, if you want to progress by whole steps, Pick any note, skip the next letter, and go to the one after that. So if you start with C, if you're, basically if you're looking at the on a clock where it would be 12, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, you're looking at C, D, E, F sharp, 
A flat, which you could spell as G sharp, B flat, which you could spell as A sharp, <laughs> and then up a whole step, you're back to C. The other combination starts on G. G, A, B, C sharp, or D flat, E flat, F. So let me kind of summarize this again. These are the things that I've noticed about the circle fifths. They show you the order of sharps. They show you which keys are sharp. They show you the order of flats and which keys are flat. They show you where the relative minor keys are. It shows you the scale degree frequency within major scales. How often do certain scale degrees become sharp and how often do they become flat? It shows you the primary and secondary chords and also the chords that you're most likely to encounter in a classical sonata key structure. It shows you how you can find the groupings of white and black key combinations for your chords. It's a natural way to progress through your exercises. It has a tritone cut across and it shows you your two whole tone scales. It's really, to me, it's almost a miracle of music because, you know, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody invented this circle and then started composing music. The circle was derived from observations that composers had developed collectively about how music sounds best to our ears. And this circle explains so much about it. So if you want to learn not everything, as I said at the beginning, about how music works. But if you want to learn a whole lot about harmony, about keys, about scales, how to play chords, how to play chord progressions, how to understand all of that types, uh, all of those things related to music, understanding the circle fifths is the secret to that. So as I, as I said at the beginning, I am sure that there are things that I, uh, that I have not yet discovered. I just mentioned all the things that I know about the circle fifths. But what are some things that you have discovered? I would love it if you would share those with me and I will I will share anything that you offer that I that I that I then check out and say, "Oh yeah, that is definitely a thing." I will share that on a future episode for a follow-up. You can you can tell me directly with your voice by going to speakpipe.com/musiciantoolkit. Or just send me a message on any social media where I'm at, at David Lane Music on Instagram or David M. Lane Music on Facebook is probably the best. But you can also go to my website, davidlanemusic.com, where you can find the podcast by clicking on the Musician Toolkit, or you can go to a contact form and send me a message. That's going to wrap up today's episode. So all about the Circle of Fifths. I hope you learned something new. And if you're like, I already already know all this, but I know someone who could benefit from this, please share this episode. That is the number one way you can help this podcast right now is to share these episodes with your friends, with your family, with the people you know who are interested in becoming a better musician or just knowing about the topic. If you're a private teacher of any kind, you should definitely check out Fonz in the show notes and get a free trial. You can see what it's all about. See if it might help your studio to become more efficient. If you haven't done so in a while, I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and a review on wherever you're listening to podcasts if you're so inclined. Or if you're on YouTube, just click that thumbs up. Again, that's going to wrap up episode number 58. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back with you again next week.